Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, we'll be listening to PSY 352, Social Psychology with Professor Nathan Smith. I hope you listen and enjoy. So in our final slide, we have a few minutes to discuss uh, a couple points remaining. Is aggression getting worse? Um, so you'll note what I just mentioned uh, in the last section, overall violent crimes are decreasing. Now, uh, this is less true today than it was um, maybe two years ago. But that being said, violent crimes between the 1970s um, the, reached a huge peak in the 70s. Um, seven, uh, you know, late 60s and 70s, and, and have really come down precipitously through the 80s, through the 90s, through the, the uh, aughts, the early 2000s, and then uh, 2010 through 2020 um, have gone down tremendously. Uh, there's a little bit of an uptick uh, at the moment, but um, certainly no one's disagreeing that the overall trend is vastly down, vastly down, and that's a that's a great improvement. There's been a lot of discussion and debate as to why uh, this has happened. It's an interesting topic. People have uh, sort of reasonable theories. People have very weird and unreasonable theories. Um, uh, I think there's a number of reasons that, that might all play a little role. Um, but it's sort of outside of the jurisdiction uh, to speak about in too much detail. But uh, the one that mo is most interesting to me is lead poisoning and lead in the atmosphere. Um, the, the environmental link between um, lead in the atmosphere, lead in paint in houses, uh, that this, this type of thing causes um, uh, mental difficulties, um, causes uh, uh, all kinds of mental handicaps, and uh, it, it seems as though part of the, this uh, decrease has been a, a decrease in lead poisoning, um, which often lead poisoning leads to a very violent behaviors, and so we were, in some ways, we were facing a large-scale lead poisoning, particularly in some urban centers that were full of cars shooting um, leaded gasoline into the air, and full of uh, buildings with old leaded paint. So. That's the one I find most interesting, but there's a number of other uh, reasons you can certainly research on your own if you are interested. So this is true. So only certain types and in certain places are crimes coming down. Yeah, so this is another sort of, you know, whenever you're collecting data, there are things that are funny about it. Um, so there's a lot less U.S. murders, but um, so that's good. But then there are also... Um, medical attention has gotten better. So people who would have died of a gunshot wound, say, 30, 40 years ago, are now surviving. So we don't actually have a reduction in aggression in, in that case. We just have uh, medicine saving someone's life that it, who uh, would not have been saved in a previous era. So this is something to keep in mind. Um, a similar thing happening uh, in uh, overseas wars. A lot of people who would have died uh, 40, 50 years ago are being saved by better uh, technology, better bulletproof vests, uh, better helmets, etc. And those people are coming home uh, wounded instead of uh, having perished, which is uh, an improvement, of course, and a blessing, um, but also causes uh, a lot of questions about uh, how can we uh, help people coming home from combat wounded 
as best as possible, particularly when those wounds are mental in addition to physical. Uh, so something else to keep in mind. Uh, symbolic aggression is not reported in official crime statistics. Gosh, uh, oh that it was, we would be in much better shape um, with keeping track of it. So there are, uh, it's possible to um, to quantify symbolic aggression in some cases, so um, you could go through news reports looking for uh, people spray-painting swastikas on inappropriate places. Um, in my experience, not in my experience, but in my understanding, um, swastikas sometimes get spray-painted on uh, synagogues or in Jewish cemeteries or in Jewish businesses, Jewish neighborhoods, etc. Uh, so you could track, um, you could sort of go through newspaper reports or what have you and, and track those occurrences. Um, however, um, there's no sort of official um, uh, and specifically dictated way in which that is done. And so without that being done in that way at the national level, uh, that we don't have access to um, access to data on uh, that type of thing. So, uh, continuing on. So we need to be cautious about assuming aggression overall is decreasing. Um, right, so um, we know that murders are decreasing, but uh, we know that um, murders are decreasing, but uh, suicides are actually going up, which is problematic, and uh, we don't know anything um, we, you know, we don't know anything about uh, the symbolic uh, situations, etc. So, uh, right, so murder's going down, but we don't know necessarily if aggression is getting better or worse. So, how can we reduce violence? Uh, this is an important question, and a question I'm going to leave um, primarily to you. So there are social and cognitive approaches, there are pro-social models and norms and international peace efforts. Social uh, and cognitive approaches, um, many times this is interpersonal. Um, uh, this is the people working on themselves, people working on their neighbors, their neighborhoods, their families, their children, um, you know, positive neighborhoods, um, positive family relations, things like things uh, like that that reduce uh, interpersonal violence, to partner violence, child abuse, child neglect, these are all things um, we're kind of moving forward into pro-social models and norms, but these are all things that would kind of uh, could reduce violence. Um, the models, uh, the models piece is interesting um, you think about uh, models and norms, so if the if norms of bygone eras have changed, which they have, then can that also change, this can that lead to a reduction in violence? For example, we'll take a sort of silly example, uh, dueling behavior, um, you know, many years ago, maybe a couple hundred years ago, it was common if people were in a disagreement, they take guns, they march 10 yards or whatever, and they shoot each other. So uh, this is obviously not a great way to solve problems, but this was uh, commonly done uh, in England, um, Scotland, Ireland, uh, Europe in general, and the United States, uh, mostly through European um, 
the European settlers. Uh, so something like that that used to exist that now essentially doesn't might help drive the uh, the violence in the country down. That's a silly example. There are many more, uh, much more serious examples. And and finally, international peace efforts. Uh, we find that war is related to many types of violence, not just uh, deaths in war, <coughs> but uh, war um, can. Uh, as was discussed previously, uh, briefly, uh, war can lead to um, sexual assault. It can lead to uh, systematic uh, enslavement uh, for work, for uh, sex industry. Um, it can lead to people coming home with cognitive deficits, uh, with injuries, with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, with a number of problems. Um, war also often leads to future wars. Um, this is something that is, uh, you know, m many times a war that happens, it, depending on how it is dealt with after the fact, can lead to more wars um, and can can spiral. How you think about World War One? That was named the War to End All Wars by the people living in that time. That's what they thought. Twenty years later, they were in the midst of a war that turned out to be. Uh, not equally bloody, but uh, tremendously bloody, um, an unbelievable loss of life. And uh, many people think that World War II was caused, at least in part, by uh, a poor job done by the Allies at the end of World War I. So international peace efforts can have spiraling positive effects. Preventing one war not only prevents the deaths that would occur in that war, but also um, the deaths that would occur in future wars based on that, and um, uh, problems had by people who come home wounded, and uh, the sort of uh, rape and sex trade issues that can go along with wars, and all these this myriad of things uh, that can be uh, made better by uh, these international peace efforts. So looking at a Christian uh, view of reducing aggression, uh, the main tools of Christians as described by Dr. Sabates Humanizing, which is considering the worth and dignity of others associated with lower levels of aggression, and forgiving, which is associated with decreased retaliatory aggression. And a, a major example of this would be the humanizing and forgiving after genocide. For example, in Rwanda, the Hutus and the Tutsis, um, the Hutus slaughtered the Tutsis. Uh, you had to have a systematic program of um, humanizing and forgiving in order to uh, overcome uh, this type of genocide. Um, one, one book I would recommend if you're interested in this subject, uh, not the Hutus and Tutsis directly, but uh, humanizing and forgiving after war, after genocide, uh, Dr. excuse me, um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu's book, No Future Without Forgiveness, talks about uh, his experiences during apartheid in South Africa, and ultimately uh, after uh, the black majority uh, was given the vote and was able to, to famously vote uh, Nelson Mandela as the president, um, Dr. Tutu, oh, got it wrong again, Archbishop Tutu, excuse me, uh, led this um, this campaign for humanization and forgiving and it turned out to be not just beneficial 
uh, for the people who were forgiven, but very beneficial for the people doing the forgiving. And that was um, Desmond Tutu's uh, intent. So, uh, No Future Without Forgiveness. If you're interested, I recommend that book, which gets deeply into a Christian view of humanizing and forgiving uh, after apartheid in South Africa. So what's next? You've already completed your detailed reading, I'm sure. Uh, after watching this lecture, complete the writing assignments, answer the questions, and take the unit quiz.